2: and their
3: essential
1: love of justice. Hi, welcome to the
2: Zo Vine for October 25th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim shiflett
1: Good evening, sir.
2: Yes, and tonight, uh, Catherine is at a political activity, could not make the show, And so um, we assume she'll be back next week for our show right before Election Day. But because Catherine's not here, we kind of covered it a different way. Uh, Instead of getting a guest host, we decided to get two guests, and not just any guest. In about ten minutes, we're going to have the uh, Florida expert. And I don't mean just about politics. I mean about social life. And, you know, he's literally written the book on Florida uh, Craig Pittman's going to join us you know, pretty quickly in the show. And then in the second half of the show, about 40 minutes in, our uh, South Carolina um, expert, one of the absolute best uh, Palmetto State political consultants, Lachlan McIntosh, is going to join us, tell us about that Senate race, which has just caught fire and has become maybe the most interesting um, Senate race there is. So we're excited about that. But until then... Tim and I are going to talk about the debate and tonight's event, which is kind of functions like a a pseudo debate, if you will, because it's both candidates given an equal opportunity. So let's start off with the debate. Um, The mute button I don't think was actually a mute button, Tim. I think they just had the sound off of the other microphone when the moderator, uh, when she um, directed a question at one of the candidates and then they opened it up so it ended up in being a debate in which many more thorough or well clearly you know spoken responses uh, were given wouldn't you say
1: yeah and and you know it it <laughs> let's be honest it did what it was designed to do it made donald trump settle down so that there could actually be legible Sentences that people could understand. There was no screaming over the other person. There was no arguing back and forth with the moderator. And it looked a whole, whole lot more of a debate. There was some policy stuff that got out there. Uh, I thought Biden, you know, had a good night, um, Certainly better than he was able to have in the previous debate when he when him or no one else in the hall could hear themselves speak because of Trump. So, uh, you know, I think that the threat of muting uh, served its purpose.
2: Maybe so, or, you know, it's either the threat or just the fact that he, you know, found out
1: the reviews were
2: so bad. Although his tweets afterward, well, he certainly would admit
1: he did badly that first time. Yeah, that's right. Um, that, so, you know, I thought, you know, if 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 you were scoring the debate, I just, I just kind of thought it was pretty much a wash because we left the debate in about the same place. That we entered the debate. So, you know, that's another day off the calendar and advantage Biden, although Republicans seem to be uh, rather elated with Trump's performance. Do you think that was because that he just acted like a normal human being or that he finally listened to somebody or or what?
2: Well, maybe so in that I guess his performance was not so bad that it brought other people, um, you know, down with him. I mean, if you took the first performance, he's in a swimming pool, he's in the deep end, he's flailing and grabbing, he's pulling people under with him. This time, you know, I guess he had his floaties on, and he's just kind of sitting there. Um, So in that case, I guess they were happy. But there's a few things that happened, I guess, that that do impact it. One – you know, the narrative going into the first debate was, you know, Joe Biden's senile. Um, he, he can't string two words together. Does he have an earpiece? Is he on some kind of performance hancers for, um, you know, being coherent? And so he was given the chance to speak, and it just obliterated you know, that narrative. That's just gone. Mm -hmm. If anybody wastes their time talking about it, they are wasting their time. And then the other thing was is even though Donald Trump was calmer, even with that first answer about coronavirus, it was just a stream of consciousness lies. And so when people like Daniel Dell of CNN and other fact checkers got a hold of what he said, he lost there too. And so that factored Mm -hmm. in as well. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, um, he, he did. He kept the fact checkers running. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think also uh, something that happened to Trump was when he began with the attacks on Hunter Biden, a lot of stuff that, it, that he was talking uh, about that was inside baseball. The average person wasn't sure exactly what he was even talking about. And as a result, those attacks fell flat. Uh, He might have had uh, something working on fracking uh, because uh, Biden did give a rather muddled answer about fracking, and Trump's taking it out on the road for a spin and converting the stuff about fracking into attacks on the energy industry and especially on oil. I mean, Trump called the names of some states the other night, Pennsylvania. Texas, I don't know why he mentioned Oklahoma State, he's going to win But All all of the things That Trump was doing didn't Really help him much at the end of the day Most polling said that Biden won the debate I noticed that focus groups were Not enthused with Trump And some of his attacks Um, As a matter of fact, you know, we talked about Uh, A a lot of the people in those focus groups that were undecided had decided by a two-to-one margin to support Biden, and uh, the others that were still undecided wouldn't actually commit to Trump. So I don't know if that's carrying over into a bigger thing, but I I just don't think the debate did anything for Trump. He needed to score big, and that's really his last chance to – affect the trajectory of the race now we got a sprint to the finish and in a stable race polling wise i i I just don't know i I don't know if it's going to change anything at this point
2: yeah um and you're talking about all that speak he uses that that fox news speak. i mean when he said coyotes i mean i I didn't know what he was talking about. I kind of knew that he didn't think it was like, you know, the wolf and Romulus and Remus where, you know, a live coyote was, you know, bringing kids, uh, you know, through the woods or anything, but clue what he's talking about. And apparently this is some term that gets used on conservative media. That's kind of what he's been doing, even at his rallies with a lot of his messaging, his ads. It's been directed at the base, and they say that that's where he's going in yeah. his is for his events. He's trying to turn out his base, hoping that he can expand it to then overwhelm any increase in Democratic turnout. But you see in the poll numbers that he's doing worse among a lot of groups. Like I saw something uh, this morning, and. Uh, Pennsylvania, White, and I think it was just Beaver County, Pennsylvania. He won whites without a college degree with like by like 44 points. This time he's winning them by 21 points. I sent you a South Dakota poll. It's a 10 point race. Um, he, re, right. he won that state by how much? Was that 10 30? Yeah.
1: Um, something like that. It, it, yeah, it, was, and it, so, it, it was way, way more
2: than that. Yeah, and, and so that's where you can tell the race has really changed. It's not states that he's going to flip, it's not Arizona it's not north carolina or georgia or florida or even ohio Iowa. where you can really tell the race is is changing is when you see his slippage in oklahoma and south dakota in x county in you know a rural state
1: um and and we're not the there. only ones yeah we're not the only ones noticing that joe biden's coming to georgia on tuesday kamala harris is headed to texas now, uh, in the last week of a presidential campaign, when's the last time that the Democratic nominee came to Georgia and the vice presidential nominee headed on down to Texas to do some campaigning? Do you even remember the last time that happened? I sure don't.
2: I'm sure Barack Obama or Joe Biden in 2008 came to Georgia. Um, I'm almost positive, but Texas, but Texas but no. And and and, 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 and <laughs> one more point before we get get on to the Sunshine State. I heard a long, long time ago, twenty plus years ago, or right at twenty years ago, if Democrats could flip Texas, you know, national races are over, just like if Republicans could flip California. And at that time, you know. I think it was actually less than 20 years ago, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California, so it seemed more plausible that they would flip Florida, uh, California. But let's talk about mm-hmm. Florida, which is actually a far more interesting state and more important this year than Texas or California or even Georgia. And let's welcome in to our our um, Florida expert, Craig Pittman. Welcome, Craig.
3: Thank you. Thank you. How you all doing?
2: Oh, doing great. You? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, I'm doing okay, (laughs) doing okay, under the circumstances. (laughs) Well, let's get started
2: with some of your okay. I saw your ad uh, for the AARP, Um, I guess it ran statewide. Tell us about that public service announcement
3: you did. (laughs) Okay, sure. Uh, Well, uh, the folks at the AARP wanted to encourage their members to vote, and so, you know, whoever they're voting for, and so they said uh, they came up with this ad campaign, you know, Florida Man Does This. Florida Man does that, and then Florida Man, you know, goes vote goes to vote, and they contacted me and said, you're the most Florida Man we know. How'd you like to play Florida Man in an ad? <laughs> and I said, they have to memorize any lines. They said, no. I said, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. So I show up at the recording studio. I'm wearing my usual, you know, shirt with the pink flamingos on it and stuff, and they're like, that's perfect. Keep that on. Don't change. <laughs> and uh, they made me wear some silly hats, but, you know, and, and they filmed me. You know, in front of a green screen, pretending to be at the beach or kayaking or cooking out or fishing or something like that. And it was just, you know, it just in good fun, just to get people to, 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 you know, go ahead and go, go out and vote. So, I figured that was a nice, uh, a nice non, uh, non sectarian thing to encourage people to do. Although there was one lady on Twitter that said this is communism, and I'm like, how is that communism? You know, but you can't, you can't please everybody, I guess. <laughs>
2: I don't know. We'll look for the link, and we'll see what we can find out between, you know, kayaking or flamingo shirts and communism.
3: <laughs> well, let's get into some of these maybe it's yeah, it because, maybe because, maybe it because the flamingos were pink. Maybe that was it. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> well,
2: let's get into some constituencies in your state. And um, we've heard about, you know, Joe Biden's Latino problem, and I think Meet the Press even looked at it. And it's actually Hillary Clinton nationwide got – 36%, or 38% of Latino vote, or she won it by 38%. Joe Biden's winning it by 32, and you got to figure there's some decided. So it sounds like he's kind of just on the same track. But in Florida, the Latino vote is even more important than it is na- nationwide, and of course, it's much more diverse within that community. So tell us, right. what do you know about the Latino vote and how it's going in Florida?
3: Well, you know, there, there are, there are a, a wide variety of uh people of uh, uh, who are latinos who are voting who are interested in voting in this election and they come from you know different backgrounds the the uh uh cubans in miami are long time supporters of the republican party uh, the um uh the, and then you have uh, a large group of uh puerto rican voters in central florida many of them refugees from hurricane maria but a lot of them have been there ever since the theme parks opened there because it provides lots of good jobs for them uh, and then um, uh, you know there are lots of uh, people from other South American countries, uh, uh, Venezuela, Argentina, etc., and they have their own set of issues that they, they bring to the table. So um, it, it seems like uh, Biden is weakest among male uh, Latino voters and particularly male Cuban voters, that they're the ones he's really having a hard time closing the deal with. And they are they are backing uh, they're continuing to back Trump pretty strongly. Although there's been some defections, some prominent ones. Um, in 2016, Trump got a huge endorsement from the uh, the group that represents the veterans of the Bay of Pigs invasion, which is a you know that's a pretty uh, um, vocal uh, group uh, of uh, Cuban voters there in Miami. And uh, and two of their top people have now defected, and they're like, nope, we're not supporting Trump this time around. We don't like what he. We don't like what he's done. So it's, a, it's going to be interesting to see which way this all breaks out. There, in 2016, there was a, there was a belief that the, uh, the Hispanic vote, particularly in central Florida, would swing Florida for Clinton. And instead, the, they were balanced out by the uh, seniors vote uh, in the villages, which is the, the gigantic retirement community. The uh, biggest retirement community in the world. All those over 55 folks took, got in their golf carts and went to, the, went to the polls and voted for Trump. But there's been some splits in that group too. That's they're no longer, you know, a solid uh, base for, for Trump either. That there they had like a 500 golf cart parade for Biden the other day, which is why you saw Trump actually campaigning there. Pence has campaigned in the villages as well. They're trying to shore up that senior support.
2: Yes, well, that was kind of my next question and I know the villages is in central southern Florida um just around the state, seniors in general um what's your sense
3: uh a lot of them are not happy with how he has handled the uh, how Trump has handled the pandemic uh which you know they're in a very vulnerable uh they're the maybe the most vulnerable age group to deal with it, and so they were looking for some leadership there and not not feeling like they were getting it to you know to protect them um and so the the there i'm not going to say that they they're going to go all in for biden i'm just saying it's going to split off some of his uh once pretty rock solid support among those voters um and then um you're sort of seeing the same thing up in north florida although not nearly as strongly um, uh folks up in the pensacola area the panama city area you know that that panhandle area there are a lot of military retirees and they uh, tend to vote very conservative but i think some of them have split off as well because of some of the comments he's made in regards to military veterans and, and you know the way he, he treated john mccain that kind of thing so it's i mean it's going to be it's it's going to be tight uh, you know god knows if we're going to do another 2000 election three-week election recount i mean <laughs> i already know people who are like oh i can't i can't handle that let's not do that again but you know we are we are kind of the recount state you know we we had that meltdown in 2000, but since then we had to, we had to do recounts uh, the last two elections. You know, for for some of the really big positions. So we'll see.
2: Yes, well, um, one more talk, one more question about constituencies in 2018. Even though your um, your governor's race and your senate race went towards the Republicans, a um, amendment actually passed. Uh, I guess with some bipartisan support to let ex-felons who've paid their debts to society, to let them vote again, although Republicans have kind of um, undermined that with some moves they've made. How's that going with ex-felons who have, you know, out of prison, paid their debt to society, you know, contributing members of the citizenry? How is it going getting them back on the rolls?
3: Uh, and it's not as it's not as huge as people thought. I think it will be in the future, but not right now. Uh, Amendment four passed overwhelmingly huge voter support. Uh, and then the, the legislature and, and Governor DeSantis came in and said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We we're OK with them having the vote back as long as they've paid all their fines and fees. And of course, a lot of those folks had not done so yet. And, and, and it's it's hard for them to even find out what it is they owe because the state doesn't have a central database. Of that that information, so uh, there was an organization that was formed to try and assist them. That's the group that uh, uh, Mayor Bloomberg gave a pretty huge donation to to try to help them finance things, which led to the the Attorney General Ashley Moody saying, "Wait, we need to investigate this. It smells like a bribe." Um, uh, But it's interesting. I I was I'm a freelance writer, so I was uh, hired by the Washington Post to go down to Sarasota uh, on the first day of early voting and interview the people who had lined up there. And one of the people who was there in the line was a guy who uh, had just gotten out of prison a year before. He'd spent five and a half years in prison, and that day he was getting to vote for the first time since he'd gone off to prison thanks to Amendment 4. And he was by far the happiest guy in the line. I mean he when he came out from voting, he actually let out a big whoop and said, I did it, I did it, I did it. And he was, just, he was jumping up and down. Um, and uh, uh, you know, and, and so that was it was kind of. He had an American flag with him; he was waving. And it was you know, it was kind of cool to see this guy who had lost his rights, and then he, he they, it made him very precious to him that he'd gotten them back. But um, uh, because of the fines and fees things, he's in the minority. You know, a lot of the folks who would like to vote still can't because of that particular aspect of things. And and there's it's also been some confusion over it because you know, uh, first uh, there there was a lawsuit. Over the law, and so one side won, and everybody was like, "Yay!" Then the the, the, felons, the felons can vote, and then the other side won, and then and then the governor's side was like, "Oh no, they they can't vote." So it's gone back and forth. It's kind of a seesaw battle, and I think it's headed to the U.S. Supreme Court now, but obviously after the election's over.
2: Yes, I saw the sixty-minute piece that they did about uh, two shows ago, and it was really moving. The gentleman that's now a lawyer that can't practice that led the effort. But when you mention like you know Mike Bloomberg, LeBron James, others wanted to you know pay the fines for the people. These fines are going to go towards the local governments who are probably hurting yeah. really badly with the decreased mm-hmm. tourism and and everything due to do with the yeah. pandemic. And they could use the cash for their schools, for their police, for their fire departments, road construction. Oh, absolutely. I would welcome yeah.
3: the money personally. That's just me. Yeah, well, well, and and the other recipients would be the people who were the victims of the crimes. So I'm sure yeah. they'd be happy to get the money back too, you know. But would go back
2: into the economy.
3: Uh, hey, take yeah.
2: LeBron James' California money, Mike Bloomberg's uh, New York money. Bring it to Florida would be my message, but,
3: you yeah, know, man, what it, I It's know, all green. <laughs> it all spins, yeah. you know. <laughs> Well, you mentioned,
2: uh, or we mentioned uh, Ron DeSantis, and um, yes. he has, uh, you know, been in the news, as always. I, I think he uh, may be handling, from an outside perspective, the COVID-19 pandemic worse than anybody. I mean, he's actually making Brian Kemp look reasonable at times, which is, which is work. Um, how are Floridians viewing Ron DeSantis, not Georgians?
3: His his popularity, which was pretty high in his first year in office, has just plummeted. I mean, he's you know he's the maskless wonder. He refuses to wear a mask in public. He refused to in, institute a, a statewide mask mandate. Uh, if you ask him, everything's going great. He brought in that uh, Dr. Atlas guy that's been advising the White House and treated him like a big expert when the guy has no background in this stuff whatsoever. Um, and it's, you know, and and the governor following in lockstep with what he's hearing from the White House has been saying we need to get our businesses reopened. We need to get the uh, schools reopened. And so, you know, they keep opening schools and having to shut them back down again because kids or teachers test positive for coronavirus. Uh, you know, I think Miami-Dade schools opened for about a week and they had like 200 of them that had to shut down. So it's just it's how can I put this? Uh, DeSantis is supposed to be a smart guy. He, you know, he went to Yale. He went to Harvard Law, but um, some of the steps he's taken, people are questioning what his grades were in school and how he managed to graduate, just because they just seem so counter counterintuitive and counterproductive to try and, you know, put the kabosh on this uh, this horrible virus that's ruining the economy and, and ruining people's lives and killing people. So, um, it it's just, um, and and the other thing too is he's. There was a story in the Orlando Sentinel this past week that was really disturbing where the White House coronavirus folks had sent a report to Florida and said, we're really worried about you. We think you're in about to hit, have a real big uptick in cases there. And the Sentinel had to fight the governor's office to get the report. The governor's office was trying to bury it and not, not release it, even though Florida has a pretty strong government in the sunshine law. So there's some – there's some concern that the governor and his staff are trying to uh, uh, quash bad news, trying to keep it out of, the, out of the public eye and make people think they're doing a better job than they are, as opposed to doing what you would normally expect a good leader to do, which is be open with people and tell tell people, hey, these are the challenges we're facing. This is what we need to do about it.
1: Yes,
0: and um,
2: any time I go down to Florida – not any time, but more times than I certainly see in Georgia and Alabama and Tennessee, other places I drive – I come encounter with toll roads. Um, tell us yeah. what Governor is, is has going on with some new toll roads.
3: Sure. Um, uh, Florida has more toll road miles than any other state already. Uh, our former governor, Rick Scott, now our U.S. Senator, love toll roads, so we built a lot of them under him. Well, um, so in 2019, the guy who was then the Senate president, Bill Galvano, he pushed through this bill through the legislature commanding the State Department of Transportation to look into building these three new toll roads that were not on the DOT's five-year plan. And he came up with this bill, and he told me this in an interview. He was very open about it. He came up with the idea for doing this bill, Galvano did, after he met with and got a campaign contribution from the Florida Road Builders Association and the Florida Chamber of Commerce. And, and so, it's, you know, people were like, oh, so this is just you paying back the people that gave you money. Oh, OK. Um, and so the first and and so it was very controversial, but it got it through the legislature. And then people were asking, well, what's Governor DeSantis going to do? He puts himself forward as being a big environmentalist. And this is going to wreak havoc with the environment in Florida. And he signed it in a private ceremony. It was not public. And his reasoning that he announced at the time was people need roads. And that was it. And so he signed it. So the first step in this process is that they had to organize a bunch of citizen um, advisory groups to make uh, to make recommendations about each one of the three roads. One of them would go from central Florida down through south Florida, and the other two would go from central Florida up through north Florida, and one of them would actually meet up in Georgia the Georgia State Line. And so the overwhelming uh, response from the public, both public comments and from those advisory committees, is, don't do this. We don't need them. They're too expensive, especially right now with all the money we've lost thanks to the coronavirus. And instead, their recommendation is fix up the existing roads so that they can handle more capacity, but don't build these you know billion-dollar roads to nowhere. And um, uh, so we'll see what the DOT does about that. Galvano is leaving his office. He's term-limited out, so they might not have to worry about him anymore. Instead, they just have to worry about what the governor has to say. I, I should mention, by the way, that um, – this is how this is how unplanned all this stuff is, how it just kinda of came out of nowhere. When they first passed the bill, uh, I, you know, they were talking about this road build, building this road up to Georgia and I thought, I wonder if anybody told Georgia it's coming. So I called the Georgia DOT and they said, Do what now? You're gonna do what? <laughs> nobody Nobody had warned than them. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'd be curious. Uh, I mean, I, we got to keep moving through, but uh, what city is it going to hit the Georgia state line at?
3: Uh, like around Thomasville. Okay, so pretty mm-hmm. near
2: uh, between Bangor well, and Alabaster, uh, where seventy-five goes. Yeah, and
3: I and I call I called the county uh, uh, transportation folks there. And the the fellow I talked to, he said, "Well, we ain't seen much much traffic at all since the Ebro Dog Track closed up." <laughs> and He said, "We <laughs> we we did a lot of improvements to the to the to the I seventy five feeder roads there, and we got lots of criticism because people said well, we ain't got enough traffic to justify spending that money." So he said, "I don't know what they think they're going to do when they build build that toll road up here that nobody's going to drive on." <laughs> so who Let me go.
2: Over to Tim for some more political questions Tim
1: Good evening Mr. Pittman how are you Tonight
3: sir I'm doing I'm doing Good I'm doing good always a pleasure to talk To you Uh, guys you always make me laugh Yeah got got a little horse
1: Race talk about Florida To to go into with you Um, Going into this cycle the Republicans had hoped To flip a couple of uh, Democratic held seats down in the Miami area uh, District 26 and Uh, House District 27, I believe District 26 is the one that the mayor of Miami has jumped in the race there. And if memory serves District 27, that's uh, Donna Shalala's seat. Uh, Any idea how those two races are going? Do the Republicans have a chance to break through in the Miami suburbs
3: um, the, the mayor might, I don't think Shalela's in any, in any uh, trouble at all. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, Cause if I remember right, I, refresh my memory, who's, who's her competitor in that race? Is that, um, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. I'm sorry. Do you happen to remember her, her um, challenger's so it, name? So,
1: so, it, so am I drawing a blank
3: on it. So she's got a name recognition problem, in other words <laughs> at least among this constituency, <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a good chance in in the with the uh, the one the mayor's running in. I think they they might have a shot there well, essentially okay. they have fielded some interesting some interesting candidates um, there's one running in the St Petersburg area for the seat that uh, oh. former governor Charlie christ uh, has oh. and and it's a very democratic District here uh you know we've got a democratic mayor and largely democratic city council, but she's running as a republican oh, the woman named uh ma- named Luna and it, um, she's uh uh you know essentially she just moved here in July and she's you know running for congress already and but touting the fact that she's a veteran and you know and, and uh and that she's going to fight for veterans and so forth. Chris has responded with some very slick ads uh in mm-hmm. Which he has veterans talking him up, so we'll see how that one goes. Uh, you know, but Chris okay. remains very personally very popular here, so we'll see how that goes. If I remember, I right, yeah. the, the, and I'm still drawing a blank on her name. But the lady that's running against Shalala, is that the is that the one who's been yeah, banned it, it, from Twitter it, it, and all it, the social it, it, media? It's
1: the lady. It's the it's the lady from Telemundo. Uh, Salazar.
3: Okay. So, yeah. Oh, that's a different yeah. one. Okay, I'm sorry. That's a different one. No, I was thinking of the one who's been banned from from uh, from Twitter and all the social media because she's Rumor. Uh, uh you yeah. Laura uh, Loomer. Yep. Of- yeah. 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 She's, she's further up the road. I think she's in Palm Beach, right? right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, so
1: if you could focus on one U.S. House race in Florida on election night and see its result come in, and by seeing it, know that Democrats are having a really good
3: night in Florida, which which
1: congressional race would you be looking at, do you think?
3: Ooh. Mm, um, probably the one in Sarasota, where uh, Margaret uh-huh. Hood has taken on Berm Buchanan. Because, um, uh, you know, Buchanan, very staunch Republican, and also has carved out a good reputation on environmental issues, which is, it, it, Sarasota has long been a Republican stronghold, but environmental issues are really big there as well. But he's also come in for an awful lot of criticism. So, for instance, when the tax bill passed, uh, Vern went out and bought himself a yacht, and oh, people just jumped all over him about that. Um, And so, Margaret Good is running as a Democrat. She's a fairly popular local politician, and um, um, you know that's that's long been a a Republican seat. If she's able to flip that, and I think you'd have to say that the Democrats are doing good. Pardon the pun. Um. <laughs> so, so if you're looking at the presidential
1: race now on election night, and election you not, and you you've already uh, made an allusion to this particular place, uh, Sumter County, which is where the villages are.
3: Yeah, uh, there's yeah.
1: like I think over 130,000 people in that county now. Oh, it and, it's huge,
3: and I mean they cover they actually they're they're in three counties. That's how big the villages is, but it mostly wow. in Sumter. And now.
1: Um, if, if the returns start coming in on election night, and Donald Trump is not winning Sumter County big,
3: uh,
1: is he losing Florida?
3: Uh, I think it's too big a jump to say that, but um, mm-hmm. but you know it, the big thing is you got to watch along the I four corridor. That's one of the counties you look at. Right. You also got to look at the other counties along the I four corridor and see how that goes, because uh, I. I think since what is it, nineteen ninety two, the I four corridor has predicted the winner of every presidential election. So Yeah. Wow. Um and, and so I mean so and so Sumter's yeah, it's like Dick, it's like the Sunbelt version of Dixville Notch, I guess you'd say. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: What 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 makes the I four corridor so unique? Is it kind of the middle ground between, say, the panhandle and uh the democratic bastions in the south or or what is it about the I four corridor to people outside of Florida that, that would make
3: it unique. It's the mix. You got such a fascinating mix of people there. You know, you got um mm-hmm. we already talked about the villages, which is predominantly white, predominantly
2: mm-hmm. uh,
3: re- republican. And then you've got um Tampa, which uh leans more democratic and uh uh, actually, elected a, a gay woman as their mayor, who's former she's former police chief there. Uh, through Central Florida, you've got the, the you know the, a lot of the blue collar folks working at the theme parks, uh, and uh, then you you go all the way to the end, and you've got uh, and and that's a huge, uh, very diverse racial mix there. And then the end the road ends over at Daytona Beach, which you know you're in NASCAR country there, and you know how very concerned mm-hmm. those folks can be but they're socially liberal too. So mm-hmm. uh it's it's just a, and so they kind of flip back and forth and as they as they flip so does Florida. You know remember Florida went for Obama two times in a row then it went for Trump.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and in between electing Obama it elected Rick Scott who was a Tea Party guy as governor. So mm-hmm. it just goes back and forth and and the mix changes Frequently, uh, as far as who's on top, because we got about 900 new people moving into Florida every year, uh, every day. I'm sorry. So. Wow. So the people who vote, you know, today are not the same people who voted four years ago. It's a whole new mix, you know.
1: Hmm.
3: Wow. Uh, two more questions and then I'm on the throw
1: it uh, to David. The first question, uh, y- you know. The government of Florida is under firm control of the Republican Party right now, but yep. in the state senate, the Republicans have like, I believe, a 23-17 advantage. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance that that chamber flips?
3: No. I don't think so. Nope. And, I, and I, think that, I think that's the Democrats' fault. I don't think they fielded enough really? good candidates. Yeah, I don't think they fielded enough good candidates to, wow. to, to flip that chamber. You know, um, let me put it this way the Democrats whole, have for years held an advantage in voter registration in Florida, and yet somehow uh-huh. the Republicans have wound up in charge of all three branches of government. So, what does that tell you about how, uh, how efficient and smart the Florida Democratic Party is in how it operates? You know, they they some, a lot of times they fail to put up candidates, or the candidates they put in, put up turn into you know the basically the human equivalent of exploding cigars. You know, say blow up in your yeah, face. Yeah, let so, let me tell you, Mister
1: Pittman, <laughs> I live in the 14th congressional district in Georgia. I know about Democratic candidates turning into exploding cigars. There you Our go. candidate <laughs> just quit the race, and we're about to send a QAnon supporter to Washington. Uh, that there you being go. said, I got the <laughs> I, I got the million dollar question for you that everybody wants to know about Florida. Okay. You know it is has years of experience in counting absentee and early votes pretty mm-hmm. quickly, reporting fairly quickly. Are we going to get a result in the presidential
3: race in Florida
1: on election night?
3: Man, if I knew that I'd go out and play the lotto numbers tonight and know I'd win <laughs> <laughs> Um uh, I hope so. I sure I hope so not just not just for the good of of our country, but also for everybody's sanity. I hope so. But remember yeah. if it's if it's if it's really close and it probably will be, there's likely to be a recount too. There's you know a mandatory recount if it's if it if the percentage is that oh. close. So We'll yeah. See.
1: Oh joy, right?
3: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. I already, I already know reporters in
3: Tallahassee that are stocking up on Advil.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> Advil in my land. And on that happy note, let's throw it back to David. David.
2: Yes. Well, um, every time you come on, you do such an outstanding job. Probably just think to ourselves and our listeners do too. Why didn't this guy have a podcast? And since the <laughs> last time you were on, you started one. Tell us about that. I did,
3: I did. Uh, uh, well, and I can't really take credit for it. A uh, guy named Chad Scott, who works for a Jacksonville radio station, contacted me and he said, "Hey, I just read your your book Cattail about the Florida Panther, and I loved it. And I'm I'm in the podcast business on the side. Are you interested in starting a podcast?" And I said. Yeah, I've wanted to start one for years, but I just don't know how. And he said, I know how. Let's let's figure it out. So we started one called Welcome to Florida. And the idea of it is, you know, we've got these 900 new people moving in. They need to know about Florida. So we're trying to tell them. So every week we address a new topic. So we talk to somebody about alligator, uh, uh, alligators and wrangling alligators. We talked to uh, the guy who's the head of the nudist association in Florida, because we have more nudist resorts in Florida than anywhere
0: else.
3: <laughs> um, uh, we we interviewed uh, a woman who goes out and hunts pythons in the Everglades and then cooks Ooh. them uh, and actually mm. takes python jerky with her to chew on while she's hunting the pythons. Um, and, you know, we interviewed uh, Carl Hyacin because he's got a new book out, uh, and uh, sort of talked to him about how it's tough to do satire in Florida because basically everything is just – everything you can make up, it's already happening, you know? And, uh, um, the, the, uh, the one we did for next Tuesday, uh, uh, is, is about, um, uh, how a ghost story led to a reporter discovering a lost cemetery. It was a, an African-American cemetery that had kind of been paved over and people had forgotten it was there and he found it. And they, you know, now they're moving people out and they're, they're going to, you know, restore the cemetery. Uh, and then the one after that is, uh, uh presidents in Florida. You know, that Trump is not the first president to have a, a winter White House down here. Uh Harry Truman had one down at Key, at the Key West Naval Station. And of course uh, Richard Nixon hung out at Key Biscayne and in fact that's where they planned the Watergate uh <laughs> Watergate break in. So
0: <laughs>
3: and, yes. and uh and one of my fa- he told one of my favorite stories which is uh uh there's a guy named Jim Clark who's a historian who wrote this book, Florida, where uh, Warren G. Harding had just gotten elected, and he came down to Florida to go fishing and play golf, and he wound up – the the guy who was promoting the development of Miami Beach hooked him up with a, a as his caddy, an elephant, a trained elephant named Rosie. And so Rosie the Elephant followed the president-elect around on the golf course with his clubs, and of course it got national publicity, and people wanted to buy lots there. So. <laughs> yes. Well,
2: I've, I've uh, listened to a few episodes. I can't wait for this election to be over so I can listen to more. Also, somewhere down the road, I've listened to Cattail, and we got to have you back on once politics calms down and talk about Cattail in detail. So we can't wait till the next oh. time.
3: I would I would love to do that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, people are it's it's done it's done really well during the during the uh, coronavirus. And people tell me they're enjoying it as a quarantine read. That's what they're calling it because it's got a kind yeah. of a hopeful ending to it, which you don't often get with an environmental story.
2: We'll go deep yeah. on that after the election, sometime in the near future.
3: Sounds good. It's a date. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. All right. Thank no you. No problem. Y'all take care. That's- and, that's- and uh All right. Have fun. You too.
2: All right. Craig Pittman, um, co-host of Welcome to Florida, author of so many great books like Can't Tell, Welcome to Florida, and for our purposes, an expert on Florida politics and just really Florida life and culture. Always good to have Craig on. And now, um, as promised, a double header tonight, a double feature with our second guest, our um, South Carolina politics expert. Welcome back to the Cozy Vine Lachlan McIntosh.
0: Hey, how you doing? Nice to be here.
2: Yes. Um, Well, good to have you on. And um, Lachlan, we were really excited to have you on because South Carolina is not a state that we think about always being a swing state. And we're going to get into some of these other races in a little bit. But the U.S. Senate race um, really didn't come out of nowhere because I think I saw Several months ago, Jamie Harrison on um, Bill Maher, and you're like, wow, that guy's impressive. um And L- Lindsey Graham, not the most popular guy uh, across the board. So tell us how this thing went from maybe it could be a race to what it has become, maybe the most intriguing race on election day, Senate wise.
0: Yeah, one of them. Well, we got a lot of them around the country, but South Carolina is certainly uh, one of them in the mix. Um, You're right. Obviously, Jamie is a very impressive guy and has a great story. And uh, as you mentioned, Lindsey has never been particularly popular. Um, And there's a a segment of the hard right uh, that's just never liked him, never trusted him, never liked him. And, uh, you know, I I think that his kind of reversal on the way he felt about Trump to, uh, you know, calling him, him, saying the truth about him, you know, a few years ago to – to just kissing up to him, something fierce, just really, just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Even people who like Trump, you know, and uh, just he just Lindsey is such an insincere guy, and uh, doesn't really believe in anything, and and it just comes across. He comes across that way, and of course he's a national figure, so uh, that helped enable the financial floodgates to open for Jamie and uh jamie has spent this money very very wisely it's of course more money than than we've ever seen in south carolina ever um i think he's raised more money than any u.s senate candidate but we've certainly never seen anything like this at all in south carolina so his ads are everywhere um literally and uh, they've been good he's had an effective message and uh he really drowned graham out in a lot of ways um so the race has been remarkably stable um And, you know, it's – usually every poll I've seen has it in a margin of error, you know, one way or the other.
2: Yes. Now, you mentioned um, uh, Ruth Graham's comments, uh, you know, against Trump and now for Trump. And the Lincoln Project cut that into a really, really biting ad. I saw it on Mm -hmm. the Internet. But in South Carolina – not everybody's following politics from all across the country like I do. Is did that ad get play or attention just for the regular voters that are not, you know, political, you know, obsessives yeah. like us?
0: Well, there's similar ads that are being played on, on in South Carolina, and maybe not by the Lincoln Project, but Jamie Harrison has an ad that plays that clip and several and, and several of the third party groups do as well. So yeah, I have voters are reminded of Lindsey's hypocrisy, right and left, and uh, I really think that's what this is—that's what this is about. And obviously, it's, I don't want to take anything away from Jamie. Jamie is a terrific candidate, but oftentimes, you know, races like this are referendums on the incumbent. So, and just keep in mind—I mean, Trump is going to win South Carolina by anywhere between five and seven points. Now that's half of what he won the state by four years ago, uh, but. Lindsey's just in every poll we've seen is far underperforming uh, Trump. He uh, he can't get to fifty percent. I have not seen him in one poll at fifty percent. And and there's an interesting side note here is that there is a constitutional list constitutional party candidate on the ballot. And uh, now he now, uh, Trump when Lindsey got to him. He dropped out of the race. He endorsed Lindsey. His name's Bill Bledsoe, but he's, his name is still on the ballot. So there is actually some money being spent to promote him um, to the hard right. It gives the hard right some place for them to go um, because they don't like Lindsey. They don't like Lindsey to the point where they don't care if it costs the Senate, Republicans the Senate. I mean that's, that's, the, that's the level of, of distrust. So that, that would be an interesting, interesting thing. At the end of the day, Bledsoe's votes aren't going to count. But they were votes that would normally go for a Republican that aren't going to be cast at all. I mean, essentially, we'll see them, but in the official results, they won't be counted because he dropped out. But still, it's a it's a very bad situation for for Lindsey, and uh, and he's just you know he's just not moving. You know, he just he can't. He has thrown every punch that you can throw at Jamie, liberal Democrat, kind of the same stuff we've always heard. Some kind of some racially polarizing type language here recently. Um, but it's just, it just doesn't seem to be moving the race. So I, I would this is definitely one that, you know, we're not we're not gonna we probably aren't gonna know the results for a, for a while.
2: Well, let me ask you about. I saw the ad, and there may be more than one ad, but uh, you know, Jamie Harrison's campaign put it together about uh, Bledsoe being on the ballot. How right. effective do you think it'll be? I mean, it's fun to watch, but will it get
0: one yeah. percent <laughs>
2: of Graham's vote? Five percent? I mean, what's the the you know the actual number it may take off.
0: Well, you know, look, he's going to get Bledsoe is going to get two or three or four or five percent anyway, right? Well, I I don't know the effectiveness of these ads. There just like there are everywhere. There are a lot of ads on TV here, um, but uh, you know, I I, I don't I, I don't know I don't know. But I mean, if Bledsoe gets two percent, that's really good news for Lindsay. He'll probably squeak through. But if he gets five or six percent, really bad news for Lindsay. and. uh Meaning that Jamie could win this race with forty-seven, forty-eight percent of the vote. Um, it's it's an interesting race in the sense that no, neither candidate has has hit fifty at all during this period. Both of them seem to top out about forty-eight. So uh, that's to me that's the so number. That would mean so would need to get four or five percent to, to to enable Jamie to squeak through in that in that scenario.
2: Yeah. K- kind of kind of final question on this Senate race. Win, lose, or draw. Has Lindsey um, Graham become the new Jeff Sessions? And what I mean by that is somebody that loves Trump, but Trump really doesn't love back.
0: You know, there's certainly some of that. There's certainly some of that. It wouldn't shock me if uh, we've all kind of expected Trump to come in and try to save him in the last-ditch effort. And Mike Pence is coming into the state to campaign, I believe, next week. Uh, By the way, which just shows you, it's the first time. A member of the Republican presidential ticket has campaigned for the general election in South Carolina since 1992. So – but probably this has more to do with Lindsey. But, yeah, I I think I don't – you know, Trump doesn't care about anybody but Trump, of course.
1: Yes. Well,
2: I'm going to go ahead and pass this over to Tim, who's going to ask about other uh, races and parts of the state. Tim?
1: Sure. Well, good evening, Lachlan. Uh, Glad to have you on again with us tonight. Uh, Thank,
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: You, you you already mentioned that uh, Donald Trump won South Carolina by 14 points in, in 2006. And as of today, 270 win to win dot com's uh, poll of polls shows Trump sitting right at 50 percent and Joe Biden at 43.8, which is, as you also alluded to, about half of the margin that Trump won by four years ago. Um Is the presidential race in South Carolina closer this year simply because Donald Trump is on the ballot? Or are there other contributing factors, such as is Lindsey Graham dragging
0: Trump down
1: or vice versa? What's going on that's keeping that presidential
0: race as close as it is? You know, I think there's two things. I think first is just Donald Trump. You know, obviously, he's Uh running about half of what he did everywhere. Um, I was mm-hmm. looking at some big, big red states uh, earlier today looking at polling averages like, say, like uh, South Dakota. He won by 30 points, and now he's up by 11. I mean, we're mm-hmm. just seeing this everywhere across the board. We're seeing it, and you know, I do a lot of local legislative races, and we're seeing we're seeing it in the, in the legislative races, too. Um, very much the opposite, by the way, of 2016, whereas, you know, we thought Hillary had a lead, but all these local polls back then, we'd see that she didn't at all. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's completely the reverse this time. But um it's mostly Trump. It really is. There's there are people that are gonna be voting for Biden who would normally vote Republican. The uh, the other thing is is that we do see, and this is of course a tribute to Trump too, but the suburbs and we don't have you know, we don't have the suburbs like Georgia does, but we have more suburbs in Mississippi. The suburbs around Charleston in particular are changing uh, pretty dramatically. Um, blue and uh, so Some of that is because of Trump and some of that's Just the way it's happening anyway So mm-hmm. um, I, I would say 75% Trump 25% uh, Changes and and Changes around Places like Charleston Columbia even Greenville a little bit mm-hmm.
1: what, uh, um, what about On up in the upstate a place like Spartanburg of course Trump's going to carry that area, and I imagine rather handily. But is he carrying those strongest areas uh, with a lower
0: percentage than he was four years ago? Also, ah uh, yes, yes. Um, I think you're going to see his margin across the board um, go down everywhere. Uh huh. Everywhere. Now, um, if, you know, yeah.
1: if, if if a person. Um, Say, say say an old boy like myself over in northwest Georgia up against Lookout Mountain over here is looking uh, at the lay of the land on election night. And, of course, I'm going to be looking at your state to see what's going on, especially in that U.S. Senate race. And the returns start coming in. What areas of that state should I be looking to
0: for clues as to yeah. how
1: the races are going statewide there.
0: Right. Yeah. I would look at two counties. I would look at Charleston mm-hmm. County where uh-huh. uh, where you know there's a tra- a trending blue county becoming very blue that you uh-huh. could see um a a margin of the, for Biden and Jamie by you know some thirty forty thousand 40,000 votes. Um that's a and that could offset a lot of upstate votes. Um so I'd look at Charleston and look at what the margin is. Jamie and mm-hmm. Biden are both going to win Charleston County, but let's see what the what the margin is. Um, and, and so the percentage point would be, you know, to, to get to, for for Biden or Jamie to win Charleston by twenty percentage points would would give him, them probably forty thousand net gain. Uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, margins and that and that we're expecting about two hundred two hundred ten thousand people to vote in Charleston County. So look at that one, and then look at Orie County. You know, ORE County, County is on the north end of the coast. It's where Myrtle Beach is. It is the opposite of Charleston, right? <laughs> All these new people are moving in both counties, but Charleston, they're Democrats or progressive, moderate, and Orie County, for whatever reason, they're senior citizen, right wing Republicans. Um, mm-hmm. He won. Trump won Horry by a tremendous margin, like thirty something points. And Horry, by the way, is one of the is one of the biggest top five counties in population now. So you look at Horry to see if that margin for both Lindsey and Trump has declined, has has decreased. If it's more of a twenty or a fifteen point margin, then that's going to be a big big deal in that Senate race in particular. So those are the two counties mm-hmm. I would look at. The rest is kind of predictable, right? I mean, Richland County, where Columbia is, is a long-standing Democratic county. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we, you're looking at turnout, and Greenville-Spartanburg, we talked about earlier. Yeah, that that's going to go. That's going to go for the Republicans, but uh, you know, not. It, it's not going to be the margin that it used to be. But Orie is the one. Mm-hmm. Orie County, Ori and Charleston are the ones I would really concentrate on.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember very distinctly the last time a Democrat won your state, Lockland. It was one of the first campaigns I ever worked in. is was 1976. Right. Uh, and you mentioned that um, Pence is coming in there this week. So what's the scoop? Is he coming in to campaign for Graham, or is the Trump campaign a little bit worried that they are bleeding voters out in South Carolina?
0: I would say mostly for for Graham. I'm sure that uh-huh. Graham is begging. I'm I am i am sure Lindsay is literally begging the White House to send <laughs> Trump down and and uh, reminding them of all that he has done for them and I'm this is probably what he's getting out of it. Um mm-hmm. but I you know again, you know, we see a lot of evidence that Trump and Pence both are campaigning in very traditionally red places, so and not a lot makes mm-hmm. sense with them, so I don't like to read too much into what they do because you know, they're nuts as
1: Is is the Trump base uh, ginned up up there? I know we're having parades and stuff here, truck parades with little flags and things like that. Do you see a lot of ginned up activity among the base?
0: You do, among the the hardcore base, though. And, Uh uh, you know, I guess what we don't know or, or what we see evidence of in the polling are just the, quote, normal Trump supporters, you know, people who voted for him, Four years ago, perhaps they were misguided. Perhaps they just really didn't like Hillary. But uh, whatever uh-huh. the reasons are, those are the ones you have to watch. And uh, whether mm-hmm. they just don't show up, or some of the, how many of them don't vote for Trump this time. But yeah, you know the crazies are gonna be crazy, and they're doing that here too, of course. Vote right. parades and Trump and, parades. And and,
1: and 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 have you seen a, a huge tick upward like we have in this state and and some other places? And uh, mail-in
0: absentee balloting. Oh uh, yes, and we are not a particularly early voting state. We are we we have absentee yep. voting, which in normal times you have to have a reason to vote absentee. Right. Um, so the one thing the legislature did, the Republican legislature did this year, was make voting make get, make it so that you didn't have to have an excuse. You can just vote. Oh, so to wow. answer your to answer your question, we are for our standards, we are having an amazing early vote and it is in person and mail in and as a Friday afternoon eight hundred and nine thousand people had already cast their ballot. The record what was in two thousand sixteen was five hundred and three thousand. So at this you wow. are going to vote yeah this is this is amazing stuff. At this pace we are going to vote about one point two million which will be about half, probably half of what we're gonna to vote total. So it looks like half the people are going to vote on election day. We're looking at about a 75% turnout, which will be the highest we've had since '08, Obama year.
3: You know, we don't
0: mm-hmm. – they don't release a lot of – they don't release information about these voters in South Carolina. They don't – we don't have their names. But for some reason – they or their ages, like you do in, in other states. Um, but for some reason, they released their race. And uh-huh. uh, so what we're seeing is that uh, non-white voters are overperforming thus far. Non-white voters make up 30% of the state's uh, registered voters, and currently it's up and down between 33 and 34% of those who have voted. So there's a lot of encouraging signs in early voting. Oh, I would say so. Well,
1: Lachlan, we thank you for uh, being on, but I'm not going to let you go without asking you a million-dollar question, just like I did the earlier guest. And here it is. On election night, will we know who has been elected
0: president? I think we will, um, because Mm -hmm. if the polls are right this time which I believe that they are going to be fairly accurate. I think there, there are going to be some states that we don't know, of course, but I think mm-hmm. that we're going to have enough states to be able to declare Biden the winner. I think you know states like Florida should come in, mm-hmm. Arizona, North Carolina, um, and, and even Georgia, I believe. Um, if mm-hmm. Biden wins any of those states that I just mentioned, he's the president, right? um and right. uh and I, so I, I do think well whether they officially call it i don't know, but I definitely think i have a I have a good feeling that if we stay up till one or two in the morning at one or two in the morning, we will know um that Biden has been elected president.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that because I'm staying up, and if I'm staying up, I, I want you to stay up,
0: too. Oh, no, I'll be up. <laughs> so, yeah, well,
1: all right, I will be up. and with that, I'm going to throw it back to David. David? Great. Yes, well,
2: Lachlan, we thank you for all this great information on the Palmetto State. If people want to read or, or follow you on social media between now and Election Day and then after to get more great South Carolina political information, how can they do that?
0: And sure, and I do tweet about once a day and update the absentee numbers. Um, my uh, my Twitter handle is at Lachlan McIntosh, one word, and that's L A C H L A N M C I N T O S H. And also, before I, before I go, remember we've got a, we've got Joe Cunningham up for re-election in the first district on the coast. Very going to be a very mm-hmm. close election. I think he's going to win. And there is another congressional race. It's a long shot, but keep an eye out. If, if we're having a really, really good night Tuesday and there's blue wave across the country, South Carolina, second congressional district, it's in the middle of the state. It's Congressman Joe Wilson. Remember him from ULI back in the, when he yelled at Obama back in the day. He's got a dynamic opponent named Adair Burroughs, and uh, she's outraised him. She's outspent him. She's out campaigned him. Uh, you know, she's done everything right. So if we have a big blue wave, remember to check that district, too.
2: Yeah, and luckily we had planned to talk about that, but since this is a Falcon Sunday, I'm going to harken back to Jerry Glanville. He used to say all the time, we didn't lose, we just ran out of time. We didn't forget <laughs> it, we just
0: ran out of time. I got you, um, I got
2: you. <laughs> what happened, no so we're apologizing. But we think Joe Cunningham is getting safer and safer um, as days go by from what we're seeing here, too. Mm-hmm. So um, good luck to you on all your campaigns in South Carolina.
0: Thank you so much. Good to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, Thank good you, to have sir. you, Thanks. Yes. Well, exciting to have Lachlan McIntosh. It's been a while since we've had two guests, and we had two great ones tonight. Um, Tim, before we go, I think we've got time for one quick statement on one quick thing. I know I've got it recording right now, the 60-minute interview. Trump released the tape early. Good move, bad move, horrible move, strange move. Call it.
1: Well, uh not good. The others can't can apply in some fashion. Uh you know, you know that's that's just Trump being Trump. But uh, no, I, I don't see how releasing that early helped him at all.
2: Yeah, and once again, he can't handle Leslie Stall. Um you know I know sixty <laughs> minutes. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, come on. You're the leader of the free world. You can't handle this person. You can't handle that person. You can't handle the other person. Who can you handle? I mean, if the only person that can you interview Sean Hennig or Laura Ingram David. or Tucker Carlson. Yeah, well, rid-
1: David, David, we've talked about this. Uh, he, he doesn't want to handle tough questions. That's why he loves the rallies where he can go out and be the center of attention, be the star. Nobody asks him any questions. Everybody screams approval that that's that's Trump's territory setting down for a one-on-one interview with one of, the, one of the toughest and best journalists in the world's way out of his wheelhouse right
2: I, I think at this point he could go on sesame street and he would call big bird um an uh, urban leftist <laughs> question too tough you
1: know i, I don't know well, really you know, yeah. the letter
2: of the day would be q and he would see a a, a democratic plot um to yeah, underline really. Uh, who knows? Well, once again, thanks to our guest. And next week, At our last show before the election, we've got uh, our predictions and our special guest from Public Policy Polling to give us all the best polls before votes are finally cast on Election Day, Tom Jensen. Until then, Ben the Kudzu Vine.
1: Good night, everybody. Hi, everybody. We are the
0: heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united. America still be a force for freedom.